Welcome to episode number 48 of the MMA Rundown Podcast. Um, man, a lot of shit changed since last week, huh? Uh, so at least we did get the UFC event in Brasilia, even though there were no fans. But uh, in the main event, Charles Oliveira was able to get the win over Kevin Lee, so I'll recap that fight. Uh, run down the rest of the card in terms of results. Uh, normally I would preview next week's card, but that London card has just been torn apart, and we don't even know if it's going to happen, where it's going to happen. Uh, so the topic after that, I'll just be talking about the coronavirus's effect on the UFC schedule, not just for next week, but then also moving forward. Um, there have been a lot of takes that people have been having since then. Um, so with the UFC pretty much being the main sport right now that's still going, uh, with the NFL, obviously they're out of season, but XFL stopped, NHL stopped, NBA stopped, um, college sports are stopping, but the UFC is still trying to go. Uh, a lot of people are trying to make the case that this is like a, a labor issue here where if they had a union... Uh, they'd be much better off. So I'm just going to talk about whether or not fighters are victims of the UFC. Uh, and then also Bellator decided to stop their show and pay their fighters, uh, even though they didn't show up, show up to fight. Uh, I'm going to talk about how athletes and gyms have responded to the virus. Uh, talk about how the media has just been sinking their fangs into Dana White and the UFC this entire week, uh, largely as a result of the UFC trying to find ways to make these events still happen. Um, obviously, the UFC was affected by this, but so were some of the other sports I like to cover. So I'll talk about the NCAA wrestling and how their season pretty much, or at least their championships, got canceled. Uh, and there's no plan to, to run back at any point. Uh, so pr everything's pretty much over there, and no one's been awarded a champion. And then also for jiu-jitsu, they had the pants coming up this coming week, and that has been canceled. So I'll talk about the effect that the coronavirus has had on jiu-jitsu as well. Uh, but starting at the top, we have the main event in Brasilia between Charles Oliveira and Kevin Lee. Uh, this was a fight that... I thought it was a really tough matchup for Kevin Lee heading into it, just in that Oliveira is really dangerous on his feet. Uh, so for Kevin Lee, if he could win on the feet, if he could kind of pick up and part with his jab and sort of like kill a bunch of time, that would be one way he can go about it. Uh, but it's tough to do that with the current version of Oliveira that we have. He's going to land a lot of good shots on you, and at that point you're going to be enticed into shooting on him. Um, early on, uh, Oliveira was able to land some nice shots, uh, eventually did go to the ground. And this was one of those fights where it's kind of weird in that watching it, in in some ways, I was more impressed with the guys, the, the fighters I was watching, but in some ways, I was less impressed with them. Um, so starting with Kevin Lee, his ability to get out of a lot of really deep submission attempts, that not only not get submitted, but not get swept by Charles Oliveira, really impressed me. Um, with that being said, over the course of the fight, what didn't impress me so much with Kevin Lee was seeing that the striking um, really wasn't as, as good as you would hope at this point in his career, especially with the amount of time that he's put into it. Obviously, with the Gillespie fight, he was a better striker than Gillespie, and Gillespie kept giving him the same look over and over, and he was able to make a read on that. Um, throw that overhand over top of the um, over, over top of the jab and throw the head kick to follow it, and that's what got the knockout. Uh, you, you figure with Oliveira, Oliveira was going to mix things up a little bit more, and that make it a little bit more difficult, and definitely was causing issues for Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee was getting backed up quite a bit by Oliveira on the feet, um, but for him, he, at least he was able to survive on the ground and survive some pretty some pretty deep attacks. Uh, so to that end, you have to give him credit. But with that being said, he, he wasn't the better guy on the ground. He wasn't the better guy on the feet in this fight. And if you're going to be a UFC champion, especially at lightweight, which is such a deep division, you, you got to find ways to win matchups like this against Oliveira. And that's not to say that Oliveira is not a good fighter, but... For Kevin Lee, he talks a lot about how he, he sees himself being the guy to beat Khabib, and obviously Khabib's the champion, so you beat Khabib right now, you become the champion. Um, but if you really want to get to that level, get to the championship level, and then hang on to the title for a while, you got to be able to win matchups like this. And Kevin Lee really showed some holes that are still in his game, and afterwards he talked about how he wants to take s some extended time off, and I think that's sort of what he was getting at with that. As for Oliveira, for Oliveira, it, it seems as though to this point in his career, the, the fights that he's lost, it, it's either been... 
oftentimes it's on the ground, but usually what happens on the ground is the other. He just gets too reckless, gets into a gunfight. Uh, his offense doesn't land, but then he's going up against another high-level black belt, and that black belt's offense does land, so there was the knee bar to Jim Miller. Uh, Anthony Pettis was able to get out of some trouble with Oliveira before he ended up submitting Oliveira. Uh, but we've also seen fights where we have guys who just get taken down, play patiently, play positionally, and they're able to pick their spots and still find a way to beat them there, so that's kind of like your Paul Felder fight uh, or your Frankie Edgar fight. And the interest here with Oliveira right now is that because he's so good off his back and he's so offensive off his back, there's this talk that maybe he'd be a really bad matchup for a guy like Khabib. And if you thought about the Oliveira that lost to Frankie Yeager, you, you probably wouldn't think no, you wouldn't think that that's going to be the guy to beat Khabib. But we've seen Oliveira just run through people lately, and you, you made the assumption based on that that it's like, okay, well, his jiu still improving. He, he's still getting really good. He's still very good about once he creates a creates a position or creates a submission attempt that he's going to be very good about finishing it. And in this fight, he had a lot of different opportunities to finish Kevin Lee or sweep Kevin Lee that he wasn't able to do so up until the final guillotine that he finally got. And there was even that moment in the second round that was kind of odd where after he got taken down by Lee, went for that um, sort of odd straight arm bar, transitioned into an omoplata, which was nice, and transitioned into a triangle off of it. And if you just kind of stop the tape right when he throws up the triangle, you're like, oh, Kevin Lee's done here. He's got him. Um, but for whatever reason, it looks like Oliver just let it go. And then kind of like froze there as if he was, wasn't sure if he wanted to just let it go and then get up or just kind of stay there. And he just kind of like stayed there. And then from there, Kevin Lee was able to, to stay slippery, not get caught in anything, and just win that round from the top. So it makes you worry if he's going to fight someone uh, at the level of Khabib Nurmagomedov. Khabib's excellent positionally on top. He's, he's going to pick his spots. He's not going to get too reckless from top. Uh, so for Oliveira, if, if he's going to have to throw up 20 submission attempts to finally get one against a high-level guy... Is he going to get those opportunities against um, against Khabib Nurmagomedov? I'm not sure about that. Uh, and, and Khabib's also very good on top. Khabib can definitely get some dominant positions on him, kind of like what Anthony Pettis had done uh, as well. So it doesn't seem like it's out of the realm of possibility still that Khabib could get a fight with Oliveira, take him down, uh, and then control position in, in such a manner where he just kind of dominates from the ground. And with Charles Oliveira, the hope is that the adjustments in his game were enough that that wasn't going to be a concern for him anymore at the highest levels, but it, it seems like some of the things that got him in trouble in the past are still there, even though he's definitely made some improvements. His striking's obviously a lot better. Uh, the old Charles Oliveira probably isn't outstriking Kevin Lee to the point where Kevin Lee's having to take him down. Um, and, and with that being said, because Kevin Lee felt like he had to take the fight to the ground at certain points to to get a reprieve from what was going on on the feet, uh, that, that definitely created some openings for Charles Oliveira. So if you do have an Oliveira versus Khabib matchup, I would definitely give the edge to Oliveira on the feet. Uh, but it doesn't seem as though it's as scary of a task for Khabib on the ground as as you might have thought before this fight. And again, that's not to say that Oliveira can't catch Khabib. Obviously, he can. He's got a lot of different submissions. He's great at chaining submissions together. And one of the interesting things about watching this fight was seeing what specific submissions he was going for and what he wasn't going for. Because um, one of the interesting things with Charles Oliveira is that oftentimes when you have someone who's like spent a lot of time in jiu-jitsu and then they go into MMA, uh, they might have a hard time knowing what's a good technique for MMA and what's not. Uh, but if you have someone who gets into MMA early on in their jiu-jitsu, they might not open themselves up to, to learning some of the more advanced techniques of jiu-jitsu because they feel like, oh, it's probably too hard to pull it off in MMA. And Charles Oliveira sort of, like, is in the middle ground there where he's he's got a lot of really um, intricate attacks that you would see just in regular jiu-jitsu competition. Uh, but he also kind of knows what he can do and what he can't do in MMA and what's going to get him in trouble. And it was interesting to see how he was sort of picking his spots, especially with the leg attacks, when he wanted to come up, when he wanted to... Uh, attack certain leg locks when he wanted to bail on position and look for something else. Um, so for him, I, I think the main point I was I was talking about before was with Khabib. 
Uh, he's, he's definitely going to be trouble for Khabib. He can definitely offer some offer some tough looks for Khabib. I mean, if Khabib gets reckless, he can definitely finish Khabib with a submission. But after watching this fight, I'm less I'm less high on Oliveira being a nightmare matcher for, for Khabib as I was beforehand, I guess would be the way to put it. Um, but to, to finish it off, uh, there, there was that second round, obviously, where Oliveira had that nice little chain going armbar on the plot of triangle. Didn't finish. Really wasn't able to get a whole lot from bottom after that. Uh, they go into the third round. Kevin Lee actually looked pretty strong in, in the third round. Landed some nice shots. Looked like Oliveira was starting to fade. Uh, but then Oliveira throws a kick sort of lazy as he's pulling it back. So Kevin Lee uh, grabs his leg, tries to go in on a shot. Uh, rather than defend the takedown, Oliveira just like sneaks his arm underneath his neck. Uh, catches a nice guillotine choke. Is able to adjust his grip too to sort of work it more towards like a... a I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. It wasn't quite a high elbow guillotine, but it looks like he was trying to work towards that. Uh, but then from there was able to make Kevin Lee tap. Lee tap like six times. Um, Oliver lets go, and then Kevin Lee acts as though he hadn't tapped. I'm not sure if he was like slightly out of it when he was tapping, or he was he was losing consciousness and he just didn't know where he was and thought he he hadn't tapped. That's possible, but wasn't a great look for him either way. I guess one of the other things to mention too is that uh, in the first round there were a lot of leg lock attempts from uh, from Charles Oliveira. I, th- I thought it was pretty impressive to see how Kevin Lee was able to defend a lot of them. It was also kind of odd at times. There were times where Oliveira would have a calf slice that he was going for, and he really wouldn't come up with it. Um, not even just to finish it, but just to use it as a sweep, and I kind of expected him to, but it seemed like he was comfortable with staying off his back and continuing to attack. Um, but good, good defense from Kevin Lee. Good job of staying out a lot of this stuff because uh, he was definitely in a lot of trouble and a lot of really bad positions, and he was able to find a way out of it, even though in some cases it looked like Oliveira was pretty close to finishing and he thought he was going to. Uh, so then moving on to the rest of the card, in the coming event you had a battle between Black Belt World Champions in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You had Gilbert Burns and Damian Maia. Uh, Maya was able to get to his game early. I uh, was able to take Gilbert Burns down. Uh, Burns was able to get back up. Uh, was able to take him down again. Uh, Burns was careful not to give up his back, um, but almost got mounted. And then uh, was able to do a really quick and slick uh, mount escape. I just kept his elbow in tight, sort of pushed up and rolled through. Uh, got back to his feet. And then from there, um, what we later saw on social media, uh, uh, or a punch he was drilling a lot, was sort of slipping out of the way of Maya's jab and then throwing a hook over the top. Uh, but he was able to find that, throw the lead left hook over the top, knocked Maya down, and then uh, once Maya was down, was able to land a few more shots um, from top, ref stepped in, and uh, Gilbert Burns got the finish. So for him, it was great. Uh, big win over a big name, a, a guy who's been ranked in the division for quite a while, a guy who's a former title challenger. Um, definitely the biggest name that Gilbert Burns has beaten in the division right now. And he also didn't take a ton of damage, and with there being so much, just, just so much wildness right now in the UFC uh, with events and with fights falling through, uh, we're already seeing him trying to push for a fight with Tyron Woodley now that Leon Edwards is probably not going to be able to make that fight next week. Whether or not he's going to get it, I don't know, but he, he's definitely opening himself up for some really good opportunities in the division. Uh, fight before that, we had Hanato Moicano versus Demir Hadzovic. Uh, really quick fight. Uh, lasted a little under 45 seconds, but Moicano was quick to take Hadzovic down uh, as Hadzovic was trying to get back up um, after getting taken down and playing from his guard. He ended up giving up his back. Uh, quick after his back was given up, uh, Moicano was able to sink in a rear naked choke. Uh, get the finish. And then one of the funny things about this event being in an empty arena is that you could hear a lot more from the athletes. And they, it, it was sort of weird because right after, Moicano was like yelling at Hadzevic. You really couldn't tell what he was saying, but he was really pissed at him. Um, but then while they were talking before the official decision, uh, there's this funny little exchange where Moicano's like, I wanted to fight for longer. And then Hadzevic's like, well, then you should just submit to me so fast. <laughs> it was just like a really funny little clip there. But it's not like that really means anything, but it was, it, it was still kind of a funny little exchange. Uh, fight before that, we had a fight that 
I think a lot of people expected to to be finished. You had a fight between Johnny Walker and Nikita Krylov. Both of these guys are big finishers. Uh, Krylov decided that he wanted to make this a grappling match, though, and it seems as though both his ground and pound um, and his offensive jiu-jitsu corner aren't quite, weren't quite at the level to be able to get a finish on Walker. Walker did show a lot of holes in his game on the ground. I think that's, that's something that people had a lot of questions about uh, when he was getting a lot of those like really quick 15, 20-second knockouts. Is like, okay, well, he's explosive. He can throw some odd strikes, but if we have to start seeing his technique over a long period of time, what's it going to look like? And on the ground, it really wasn't great here. Landed some nice shots here and there, but also took some pretty heavy shots on the feet as well. Um, but it, it just wasn't a great look overall. Uh, he, he almost felt like the fight with Corey Anderson, that his that his wrestling defense looked a little bit better than it did here in this Krylov fight. But either way, uh, just wasn't the showing that you were hoping for from Johnny Walker. I don't see the UFC releasing him over this, but... For someone who a few months ago people were talking about as a future title challenger and a guy who might be able to knock out John Jones, uh, it seems as though he's kind of fallen back in place more to a spot where he, he really belongs. He's definitely an explosive guy. He, he, he throws some weird shots from weird angles. He can hit you really hard. He can put you out really quickly. Um, but from a technical standpoint, there are still a lot of holes in his game that need work. Hopefully, though, this time, unlike last time, or unlike times in the past where he's been quick to, to change up his training scenery, uh, hopefully he sticks around Montreal and at least gets a few more camps in with, with TriStar before he decides to move on from there. Because uh, I think Faraz Abi really can help him out, but this just wasn't the best showing for him. Uh, and then the fight before that, the last fight on the main card was Francisco Trinaldo versus John McDessie, largely a striking fight that McDess- or that um, Trinaldo was able to win, so Trinaldo gets the unanimous, unanimous decision win there. Uh, on the prelims, we had a battle two top five flyweights between Brandon Moreno and UCA Formiga. Early on, Formiga, I, I would say he definitely won the first round. Um, had Moreno in a lot of trouble on the ground, uh, but Moreno very good defensively. Moreno's very good on the ground himself, uh, but Formiga's probably the best Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy in the UFC flyweight division right now, and it was definitely showing in that round. Uh, but in the later rounds, Moreno was, was able to, t- to win a lot more on his feet. Uh, it was definitely outlanding and landing the harder shots on Juicy more Formiga. Fight went to the ground a few more times. It's not as though Moreno was really winning a whole lot on the ground, uh, but he wasn't really getting himself in any deep holes either. Uh, so Moreno was able to win this 29-28, 29-28, and then one judge gave him uh, the first round at 30-27. Uh, fight before that, we had Amanda Rebus uh, just badly outgrappling Random Marcos. Uh, then we had Elizio Zaleski dos Santos getting unanimous decision win two rounds to one over Alexei Konchenko, who now falls to 20-2 and after being 20-0 and a couple fights ago. Uh, Ronnie Aya with a majority decision over Enrique Barzola. Um, Myra Bueno Silva... Uh, loses to Marina Moroz, 29-28 in all three judges' scorecards. Uh, we had David Dvorak beat Bruno Silva, uh, 29-28 in all three judges' scorecards. Then another 29-28 fight between Veronica Macedo and Bia Malaki, and Malaki got the win on that one. Uh, so now, I guess, the next thing to talk about is moving forward. Uh, what effect is the coronavirus going to have on the UFC schedule? This is being recorded right now. Uh, like this at, at this exact time, at 7.42 um, Chicago time. Uh, like in an hour from now, some things could change by the time that this is uploaded to Anchor, which is what will be uploaded to first. Um, a lot of things could change by the time that's uploaded to YouTube, which might not be until around midnight. A lot of things could change. So I'm just going to tell you what's going on right now, and we'll see where it goes from there. As of right now, um, the UFC will not be in London next week. They are looking to reschedule somewhere in America. Now, it seems as though every few hours in America, different things are getting shut down. Um, where I'm at right now, they just made a a new rule in place where there are no no more dining restaurants as of tomorrow. Uh, so I, I can't go somewhere and just like sit down and get a pizza or something. It, it's only going to be delivery or pickup. Uh, so that's going to be starting tomorrow. Uh, so having an idea of what's going to be the case next Saturday is really hard to tell. 
Um, but Las Vegas is not going to be allowing fights uh, for another couple of weeks, it looks like. And so the UFC is looking at like Indian reservations, they're looking at Alabama and some other places to see if they can get a place to get this event booked. Uh, but if they do, who's going to be left in the card is hard to tell. They were saying that they're looking for fighters who can take fights on short notice, even some guys who aren't currently in the UFC. Uh, if they can just kind of pop up right now and take a fight, that would be ideally what they're looking for right now. Um, so as far as I know, uh, Tyron Woodley is still looking to be the main event on Saturday. It looks like Leon Edwards, with him being in in the UK right now, with there being some travel restrictions in place, he's not going to be able to come. There's talk of Colby Covington possibly taking the fight against Tyron Woodley. I don't know that I see that fight happening. It'd be a great fight. I don't think this is the best timing for the fight. I'd rather they actually have some time to to lead into it. Tyron Woodley versus pretty much anyone's going to be an interesting fight to watch at this point. We're we're not really looking at what's going to sell the best. We're just looking at what's interesting. With there being a lack of sports on TV, I mean the UFC is going to get a lot of viewership as long as they get an event, regardless. I think. Um, so is, is the Colby Covington fight going to be the one that's made? I don't know about that. I think Colby has enough issues getting a title fight, um, in, in terms of finding a deal with the UFC. Um, when you have this short of a, a period of time to negotiate, I don't think that he's going to come to a deal that he likes. So in all likelihood, I don't think Colby Covington is going to take the fight with Lee. I'd be pleasantly surprised if he does, but I, I just don't expect that. Not that I'm saying that Colby's scared of him. I just think that Colby... Uh, is very particular about the kinds of deals that he takes, especially after he felt like he gave the UFC a good deal uh, with the Robbie Lawler fight, and then he felt like he wasn't paid back properly for the Kamaru Usman fight. Um, so that's probably not going to be the case. Gilbert Burns is a possibility. That'll be interesting. I know Rafael Dos Anjos has been talking about it as well. Not sure. I, I mean, I guess we've seen we've seen a fight like that for RDA so many different times where it's kind of like you, you don't necessarily want to see it again, but would I watch it? I mean, at this point, just... As long as you got the three letters, you have seen probably watching it anyway. So I, I, I guess I can't be too picky at this point. I mean, really, I'd watch amateur MMA at this point. I, I just need sports to watch. So I don't think it'll be fine there. But again, for this upcoming event on the on the weekend of the twenty first, it's going to be interesting to see if the UFC can actually get a venue uh, and who they're able to put together. But it looks like a lot of those fights that were supposed to happen in London have been have fallen apart, especially since they had a lot of local talent there. Uh, that aren't going to be able to make it overseas and make it back to the U.S. for wherever they reschedule that event. Uh, the event after that was supposed to be in Columbus. That one is off. That was then going to be moved to the Apex, but it looks like the Apex is not on the table for them either. Uh, so where they go from there, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it's just... I, I think they're kind of in that same position where they're trying to find another venue for that one as well. Um, but it is kind of upsetting to see that it's not going to be at the Apex. Uh, that card in particular, is, I, ha I had closer eyes on than some other ones just because um, one of the guys who trains at my gym, Eddie Wineland, is going to be on that card. I've been seeing how he's been uh, training for it, and that's something I'll talk about later in terms of how fighters are handling this whole situation. Um, but I would definitely like to see him get a fight given the amount of time that he's put into this, um, given the, the camp that he's put in. But I, I haven't heard any updates uh, since I just heard the most recent one, which is that they're not going to be able to do it at the Apex anymore. So we'll see if that stays on, but... At this point, I feel like every every hour or two, you, you could have some big game-changing news that comes out. And as of now, uh, we're just kind of waiting and seeing. Um, so as far as the schedule goes, I guess that kind of covers it. You, you can also mention that the Ferguson versus Khabib fight is also in danger here. Um, I think even if they have to cancel UFC 249, I think the UFC is going to keep that fight and they'll just kind of push it down the line. And I don't think that's going to cause any major issues. I don't think that... Tony or Khabib are going to go back to the table and be like, actually, now that we're doing this, I want more money. Like, I think they kind of have deals in place. I think they have decent agreements in place. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of when they do it, whether they're 
going to be able to put it on the exact same. I think April 8th is the date, whether it's going to be April 8th or where they have to push it down the line. I don't think we're going to lose the fight, um, but we might lose it on the date that it's currently set at, which is a bit unfortunate. But it seems as the UFC is very eager to continue to run events as scheduled, have an event run as scheduled. They're, there's a lot of money that could be lost if they're not able to provide that content for ESPN, and I think that's why they really want to do it. Um, but I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, next topic to talk about is whether or not fighters are victims of the UFC. Um, there's been a lot of talk about how, for one, Bellator decided to cancel a show on Friday night and then also pay all of the athletes what they were supposed to be, what they were going to be paid, uh, even though they hadn't fought. Meanwhile, the UFC is still pushing forward and doesn't seem as though they're planning on paying anyone um, if they don't show up and fight. As far as my take on it, I, I think it is a fair, a fair point to make about the UFC that they seem to be a little less willing to to pay fighters in, in, in tough situations than other other sports, not even sports, but just like general businesses. It feels like the UFC tends to be a little bit tight-wadded uh, with their fighters at times in those types of situations. Like you think about the time when the, the UFC moved from Vegas to California for a John Jones fight, and there were travel expenses involved in making that change, but there were also, they, they went from a state where there was 0% um, state tax to a state where there was a high t- state tax in California, and not only did the UFC not really it doesn't sound as though they did a good job of covering the travel expenses, or at least fully covering the travel expenses for everyone, but it also sounds like, um, from a state tax standpoint, that the UFC didn't make up the difference. So you had fighters who were calculating a certain amount of take-home pay that they were going to have after a fight, and all of a sudden, a big percentage gets gets grabbed by the state of California. Uh, so I would have liked to have seen the UFC handle that better. I would like, at least in this situation, for the UFC to say, hey, look, if you aren't comfortable competing right now, like we'll still pay you your show money at least. Um, I don't see them doing that. I did see Bellator do that. So I think to that end... It's not as though the UFC is required to or that they have to, uh, but it would have been something that would, have been, that would be nice to see if they had done it. And it doesn't look like that's something that they're talking about or something that they're planning on doing. It's more just like, okay, if you don't feel comfortable fighting, that's understand- we, we understand that. We're not going to cut you if you don't take the fight. Um, but they're also not like covering the pay for these guys, so they sort of get put in a bit of a, a tough situation. Now, with that being said, if you're looking at the coronavirus in terms of the, who it's dangerous to if you're a ufc fighter which means that you're probably in shape it means you probably have a decent immune system because if you have a shitty immune system pretty tough to to be in this line of work uh, but it also means you're you're definitely a lot younger than 60 the fighters themselves are, are definitely a much greater risk to like ringworm or to staph infection than they are to coronavirus the danger with the coronavirus would be if they contract the coronavirus in a fight and they go hang out with mom or hang out with grandma afterwards um, but from there, as long as they understand what they're getting into, they can kind of make that choice and say, look, I'd prefer not to get the coronavirus, but if I do, I'm going to know that at least for the next few weeks, um, just to stay away from the old people in my life or the older people in my life. And you can do that. What you don't want to do is be like, I, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Uh, so I don't care, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And that means that I might have it, but I'm then going to hang around people who are at greater risk. If you look at it from a standpoint of, I'm probably not going to get too badly hurt by it, but I'm also going to make sure that I stay away from people who could be. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if if you take the risk of either training, which is again is something I'm going to talk about, or, or fighting as well. Um, so for for the fighters who who do want to fight, in a way, it is kind of nice that the UFC is looking to keep moving forward and keep offering fights. Um, but I can definitely see some areas where some fighters who who might not want to kind of feel like they're in a bit of a crappy position. But to me, if I'm in the UFC, I'm a lot more concerned about. Um, about getting staffed than I am about having to deal with coronavirus right now. So from what I've heard, too, 
uh, again, it's sort of been fairly limited in terms of what I've heard, but it's in, it doesn't sound like there are a ton of fighters who are like, why is the UFC moving on? I don't want to fight during this time. It, it seems more like media members who are trying to create that sort of concern and sort of create that um, create that narrative. Um, and then another thing worth mentioning, too, is if you look at some of the other sports as well, and, and one of the things that was talked about here is like, well, the fighters feel like they have to fight through injury. They feel like they have to fight through illness. Um, and that's because there isn't a union. If you watch any other pro sport, you are very well aware that other athletes also play through injury and other athletes also play through maybe dangerous um, biomedical situations. Um, so for me, of a few of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast, why I've done this podcast, is because I feel like the people who are in media have very large gaps of knowledge in certain key areas. Um, one of the key areas, obviously, that I've talked about in the, a lot in the past is that e- even if you're listening to, to, like, someone talk about baseball or basketball that's never, like, played at the pro level, like, most people have at least, like, played Little League Baseball or played, like, five, six, seven years of baseball, maybe even played high school baseball. Like, there was this one time with um, First Take on ESPN where Skip Bayless was talking about a basketball player, and they were like, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. This guy averaged, like, 1.4 points per game on varsity for, like, a state championship team. And that was, like, the big reason why Skip Bayless shouldn't be talking about basketball is because that's what his level of basketball knowledge was. If you think about the level of basketball skill and knowledge you have to get to to, like, make varsity on a state championship team, even if you're only playing for short periods of time, that's far more than the amount of time that a lot of MMA media has put into training in any sort of martial art. Uh, and that lack of knowledge definitely shows a lot. Uh, you also have um, a lot of the people who are in the MMA media who come from journalism backgrounds they don't necessarily come from business backgrounds so when they have to start talking business uh you you can definitely see some holes in what they're talking about there as well um so again that's another area where it it just feels like what people are talking about it it just doesn't line up but one more area too is that it also feels like a lot of people in MMA media really don't follow other sports all that closely so when they start comparing mma to other sports it, it just seems like they don't know what's going on in other sports when they make the comparison so in this specific case before I got into jiu-jitsu, I mean, I still, and before I got into MMA as well, but I, I still watch a lot of other sports, but I, I especially watch a lot of sports before then. So I kind of have an understanding of what's going on in the sports and like what the, what the positives, negatives, and what sort of, sort of things they deal with as well. And one of the things that was mentioned this week is this idea that because the MMA fighters don't have a union, that they have to like fight through hardships, they have to fight through really bad injuries, um, they have to fight through risks of illness. As far as injuries go, football, hockey, pretty much every sport players play through injuries, uh, especially in football, hockey, and other contact sports. I mean, hockey players are, are known for taking a puck to the face, having, like, a bunch of teeth knocked out, going into the locker room for five minutes, and then coming back with, like, some gauze in their mouth and continuing to play. Hockey's obviously got a union. Uh, I think it's got, like, a, at this point, I think they're talking about, like, an 84 to $88 million salary cap. Uh, so those players are paid well. They're under union. Uh, and they still deal with some serious um, physical deformities to, to come out and play. Uh, it's not very uncommon, especially in the playoffs, for them to play with some serious injuries that they really, that most people would be like laying on a couch having to having to wait to heal. Uh, these guys would be playing through it. So uh, again, you have a union sport there where these guys are playing through serious physical injuries. You also had in hockey uh, that whole mump situation a few years ago where there was mumps getting, going around the locker room and a lot of the guys end up getting, in, including the the best player in the league, Sidney Crosby. So this idea that like a union protects you against from having to play injured or having to play with like a risk of illness. Meanwhile, in the UFC, like it doesn't matter if your opponent has, um, has staph infection, you have to go out there anyway and fight them. 
it's not as though the UFC athletes are dealing with something that other athletes aren't dealing with. Um, there, there are definitely similarities there in terms of like being pressured, um, whether it's the team pressuring you or whether it's a financial pressure uh, to play with injuries or to, to risk your health um, when someone's sick. Uh, so I don't feel as though the UFC athletes are like under any undue pressure that other combat athletes, other close close sports high con- or close high contact sport athletes are having to deal with. Uh, I guess next thing to talk about is how athletes and gyms have responded to the virus. I can tell you very specifically from a jiu-jitsu standpoint, because that's something I've been very close to this week. Um, obviously, as I mentioned before, Eddie Weiland is training at my gym. I've been seeing how he's been preparing for his fight, so I kind of like see a little bit on the MMA side there. Um, but Eddie Weiland's like the main MMA guy who I've like had an eye on in terms of how he's preparing for this. Uh, meanwhile, jiu-jitsu, I've been seeing a bunch of guys. And just, just to explain my week... Um, Pretty much Monday, went to the gym, trained as normal. Tuesday, went to the gym, trained as normal. Uh, Tuesday night after that, I, I went to get some drinks with some of my training partners when we were just talking. And one of them uh, refs a lot of judicy tournaments like I do and mentioned that they were looking for another ref uh, for a tournament on Saturday. Uh, asked if I wanted to do it. I said yes. On Wednesday, uh, that's when the WHO declared uh, COVID-19 a global pandemic and things just started shutting down, including the NBA at night. Um but again, Wednesday night, we were aware of that. I, I trained on Wednesday night. Um, Thursday, trained on Thursday night. Again, this was after a lot of stuff had already closed. And not only was I training, but a lot of training partners were there. It's not as though the gym was empty compared to normal. There were, there were plenty of people who knew plenty about what had happened, who had seen a lot of the closures and were continuing to train. Um, and then Friday, I was just on the road, uh, just because I, I had to drive all the way up to Minnesota. So I was driving to Minnesota. I, I had to leave a little bit later because I had work. Uh, but a couple of the other people who were in the general area that I'm from, um, that I was hanging out with a bunch over the weekend, uh, they went a little bit earlier, and they also, since they had made it in, in time for training up there in Minnesota, they had gone and trained on that day. Uh, and then on Saturday, obviously, there was a judici tournament uh, where I was roughing. There, there was definitely less people there than there otherwise would have been, would have been had there been not been the uh, coronavirus, but there were still plenty of matches for all of us to, to ref. Uh, it was still relatively um, a relatively busy tournament. Um, so at least from the jiu-jitsu standpoint, we're talking about a bunch of people here who don't have to do these tournaments, who could get their money back if they back out of the tournament. Um, again, they're not forced to, to train either. And for the most part, we like doing jiu-jitsu. We want to train. Like, we want to compete. And this idea that, like, anyone's forcing us to is it's just not true. It's just what we want to do. And I would imagine, especially from what I've seen so far, that for a lot of MMA fighters, they also want to keep training. They also want to be able to compete if they're scheduled to compete uh so this idea that fighters are like being forced between a rock and a hard place because the ufc just is, is treating them so poorly like, that like the ufc is forcing them against their will to fight that is not something i've been i i can really say that i've seen i'm sure there are some people who i train with who might have been at the gym on wednesday or thursday but weren't because of the coronavirus but it's not as i i mean if a, if a normal class on a thursday night is like 25 people there were still like about 25 people maybe it was some different people who were in and some pe- different people who were out but I'm not seeing, um, in, in terms of what I've seen in the gym and what I've seen from specific fighters um, who are actively training right now, I'm not seeing a big urge from them to like stop training or avoid contact with other people. It seems more like just journalists think that they, they should feel that way, so then they're saying, oh, look what the UFC is doing to these fighters. But from what I'm seeing, whether it's someone who's actually paid to fight and paid a good amount of money to fight, or whether it's someone who just does jiu-jitsu as a hobby, which is also very close contact and probably the most close contact of the martial arts people just want to do it they enjoy doing it and whether they're getting paid whether it's costing them money they, they want to keep doing it so i have a hard time 
seeing that, seeing that in the gym, going to a jiu-jitsu tournament where a bunch of different gyms are kind of sending guys, seeing them uh, happy to be able, be able to compete on a Saturday when pretty much everything else is shut down, and saying, wow, I guess the UFC really is mistreating the fighters. I feel, bad, feel so bad for them. I, I honestly believe most fighters want to keep fighting. Most martial artists want to keep training. Um, are, are there going to be some who are like, well, based on my lifestyle, I'm going to be in close contact with some people who are at high risk. Can I have to stop right now? Sure, there, there are definitely those people, but most of the, those that I've seen want to keep going, and I think that's part of the reason why when the UFC announced with this London card that a lot of fighters are going to have to, um, or that they're going to have to bring in some new fighters here, that there are a lot of people who are throwing their hands up saying, you know what, make it me. I, I want to be the guy. I want to be the one to step in here. I want to take a fight. Um, it, it's not as though these guys are like, financial prisoners who like need need to take a fight right now if they want their family to be fed i, I think these are just people who want to do who, who want to continue the sport they want to continue competing um they're, they're throwing their name in the hand they hope that they, it, it gets pulled so based off of everything i've seen it, it, it just doesn't seem like a whole it, it doesn't seem like most jujitsu guys or most mma guys that i've heard from or he, heard speak want to avoid the gym right now or want to avoid competition right now it, it seems like it's actually in the other direction now as far as how gyms are handling it uh, it seems like every day uh, there's new closures uh, we had legion jiu-jitsu in san diego which obviously california has been hit pretty hard uh, but that's keenan cornelius's new gym uh, they closed then we had marcelo garcia's in new york which again new york's been hit relatively hard they closed as well um as far as training goes there were some places that were closed as quick as wednesday like i said my gym was open wednesday i trained there uh, there were some that were closed for thursday my gym was open i, I trained there um, some were closed for Friday. Again, my gym was open. Uh, I wasn't able to train there because I was on the road, but other people were. Saturday, th again, some more gyms were closing then. Uh, unfortunately, on um, Saturday night, my gym announced that they were going to be closed for a minimum of a week right now as, as this all gets sorted out. I'm, I'd imagine it probably be a little bit longer, and that's a little bit unfortunate. Um, but at, at that point, they closed. Um, I, I did see some people today that were still like posting pictures of them training today. So there, are, there, there still are some gyms that are open. Um, but it seems like at this point, it's getting to a point where a lot of gyms, at least gyms that are open to the public, are having to start closing now. Um, for some fighters or for some select people, um, they kind of will be continuing to run some private sessions there. Um, so I'd imagine, if we're talking about Eddie Wineland, I'd imagine that he's going to be able to, to get in the gym and, and get some rounds in, and they'll call up some select people that they need for him. Um, but in terms of public training, I think at this point, it, it's getting pretty tough. Uh, and then also, there are people who have mats in their apartments or mats in their homes, and I'd imagine a lot of people are going to be hitting those people up to, to have some private sessions as well. Because like I said, there are a lot of people who still want to train, even if the gyms um, fell forced to close, which could be a handful of things. One could be that they're honestly concerned that they're that the people who train there are, are, are going to get very sick. There's also the possibility that they're concerned that their insurance um, for their business is going to give them some issues if they continue to run. So with, with that being said, that's sort of where we're at, where we're at right now. Um, normally I'll be training on a Monday night. I don't know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. I'm probably just going to have to put out the bat signal to some of my training partners and some of the other people in the area and see if, see what's open and see where I can train. Um, I'm sure next week I'll talk more about what I was able to do, um, what sort of availability there was and what I've seen then. But I'd imagine by this point next week, uh, when we do podcast 49, there are going to be a lot of, a lot of other changes that might sort of be top of mind. And I might forget it, but I, I would hope to at least mention next week, um, how that all changes with, with the impact of the coronavirus. Uh, another topic, I, I feel like I've touched on a little bit, but I guess I'll get a little bit more specific on it, is just the media sinking their fans into, or sinking their fangs into the UFC and Dana White. Uh, so if we remember, 
when there were a lot of these announcements in terms of events either being closed to the public or being closed in general, most of them had been done by like Thursday afternoon. And the UFC, there were leaks coming out about, oh, the UFC is talking about not having fans at UFC Brasilia or the UFC is talking about moving events to the Apex, but there wasn't a actual public announcement. And I guess with everyone kind of their eyes glued to their phones at that point in time, an hour or two felt like days. Um, so at that point, people started writing articles and talking about, oh, the UFC's silence is deafening right now. The, the UFC doesn't care about their athletes. Look how long it's making them to make, or taking them to make a change. They're not going to make a change, are they? And then obviously later Thursday night, Dana White comes out, has an interview, talks about how they're moving some events, or at least at the time that they were moving some events to the Apex, that they were going to run UFC Brazilia without fans. Um, so, so they eventually did make their changes and make their adjustments around the coronavirus. Um, but still, to see the amount of media members who were just absolutely sinking their fangs into the UFC, I, I just thought it was really off-putting, um, especially with the amount of certainty that they were talking about. And if we're going to talk about the coronavirus as a whole, I'm no microbiologist. I, I'm, I know I'm not an expert on it. I just try to look at what I see and make some inferences on it. Um, but with that being said, it, it, does, it still seems like there's quite a bit of uncertainty around it. So any anytime that there's something where it seems fairly clear that there should be uncertainty and someone starts popping up and acting like they have the answers and they know exactly what the case is and how things have to be handled, that's someone you don't want to listen to and that's someone you don't want to trust. And there were a lot of people in the MMA media who were fitting that description. From what I can understand, at this point now on Sunday, I think there have been 60 or 61 deaths in America from the coronavirus. That coronavirus started, I think technically it started back in 2019, um, in, in late 2019. Uh, it's been an issue for a while. It, in my day job, I work in marketing uh, for a company that has products that come out of China. So it was something that we've been aware of for quite a while, uh, especially as a lot of factories were being closed down or staying closed down. And we were expecting to have, whether it was new, new items coming in on time or having replenished items in time for us to be able to sell them. Uh, it was definitely something that was on our, on our radar, but now it's really hidden hard. But even still, uh, after all that time, we've only had about 60 deaths. A lot of the concern that we have right now is based around some projection models in terms of what they think it could be if we don't um, keep people away from each other and really s slow down the spread of the disease. But with that being said, they, they are projections. It's not as though we have a, a clear indication of what's going to happen if everyone just continues to move forward as normal as we had done up to this point where about 60 people had died up to this point. One of the things that being a guy who works with numbers too, that, that I think was interesting about this is that one of the big numbers that people look at with the coronavirus is the death rate. Now the death rate, it's a fairly simple math. You're taking the total number of people who are, who die of coronavirus uh, divided by the total number of people who have the coronavirus. So that can go a couple different ways. That stat. So, if you have a very exact number of the people who have the coronavirus, but the number of people who died, maybe there are a lot of people who once they, once they pass away, the, um, the medical examiner isn't able to determine quickly or they don't look for the coronavirus, then you could have a case where the death rate is actually a lot higher because we're not actually attributing deaths correctly. Uh, you could have it the other way where we're attributing deaths correctly at a, very high at a very high rate, but in terms of testing people and being able to get an accurate number on how many people actually have it, uh, that could be wrong. So in that way, we're, we're understating the amount of people who have it and therefore overstating the death rate. Uh, or you can kind of have like a spot where you're in between where you're, you're kind of un understating the amount of people who have it, but you're also um, understating the amount of people who've died from it. From every indication I've seen so far, the number of people who've died from it seems to be pretty accurate. I don't think there are a ton of people who are dying of coronavirus and they aren't like finding that to be the cause of death. But what we've heard plenty about is that there are a lot of people who get the coronavirus um, but whether it's being able to afford or be able to get availability um, to get tested, they're, they're not tested. So in reality, whatever the death rate is that you're hearing right now, 
what that death rate is is number of people who have actually tested positive for the coronavirus divided by or number of people who have actually died from coronavirus divided by the number of people who have tested positive not the number number of people who have it the number of people who have tested positive for it so have taken a test and gotten the positive result in um with that being said it, it's still a higher number regardless a am i saying that the coronavirus is not not dangerous at all i mean you look at italy obviously it's caused a lot of issues there uh we have other diseases like ebola uh, like the swine flu that have done an absolute number in terms of both positive cases and also death related to it. Um, but with that being said, we're at a point here where we're running numbers uh, largely based off of flawed statistics because, again, you don't know the actual death rate of it. Uh, you, you can kind of make some inferences here, but you don't have the actual number here. So we're, we're running models right now. And do I think that everyone's wrong for trying to play it safe here? I don't know about that. It, it, it's sort of a tough balance to have. I mean, obviously, if you're going to live in a free society, you're going to have to take some risks whether that's allowing people to drive faster than five miles an hour and understanding that you're going to have a lot of traffic deaths as a result, which we do. Um, in, in terms of freedom, if you allow people to have guns, oftentimes they're going to be able to protect themselves, but there are going to be some people who take them and, and, and do the wrong thing with it. But that, that's sort of a balance that you have to run is how what, the more safe you get, the less freedoms you, you, you give people, and you, you sort of have to find a balance there. Do I think we're going overboard with the coronavirus? It's hard for me to say because I don't know enough about it. Um, but again, who knows? Anything's possible. With that being said, because the projections that we have are, are being run on numbers that aren't exactly hard numbers, because we don't know the exact death rate, there's a lot of information that we don't have right now. For anyone to come across and say, I know for a fact that this is going to be awful, this is just going to destroy the country, and anyone who isn't shutting everything down, like the UFC, by them still like running these small events uh, with no fans allowed, that they're like putting people in like grave danger, I, I, I just don't understand how you can be so certain of that. And for the for the media who have been that way and who have been using this as a way to take shots at the UFC as if they're like, we know for a fact the coronavirus is just going to wreak havoc on everyone who goes into a public gathering at this point moving forward. The UFC is putting together mi miniature public gatherings at this point moving forward. Therefore, the UFC doesn't care about the people. I, I just think you're taking it way too far. Um, now, granted, is this something that we're going to have the answer to? Not really. I mean, if moving forward, the coronavirus just runs roughshod over America and like 100,000 people die or a million people die. Then we can look at this and say, okay, well, it was the right move. It could have been a lot worse. If we move forward and the end number ends up being like 100 people or like 200 people, then you can say, oh, well, it would have been so much worse had we not done this. So at this point, it's not as though we're ever going to know um, how much we've accomplished by, by pretty much shutting down society, by shutting down public, large public gatherings, um, by keeping people from eating at public restaurants. Uh, it'll be hard to know how much we've done. But I, I think at this point, to speak with any level of certainty, especially at a very high level of certainty, um, it really says more about you, especially if you aren't an expert in this. I mean, if you're like a microbiologist and you've been studying and you want to speak with some certainty, I'll listen to you now. Granted, again, the statistical models, there's a difference between like actually knowing what, looking at a virus and understanding what's going on like underneath like a microscope. Um, there's a difference between that and like being able to run models and run accurate projections. Um, so even there, there could be some differences between the guy who's like looking at the virus under the microscope and trying to figure out like how to create a vaccine for it and someone who's actually like running numbers on the back end and trying to figure out how much damage it can cause. Um, but if you're just like an MMA journalist and you're you're putting out hard arguments either in either direction, just really tough to take you seriously at this point. Uh, so I guess moving on to wrestling. Uh, so really unfortunate uh, for a lot of people. Um, I'm very low on the list in terms of people who should be most upset about this, but I guess I am on the list just because I'm... As far as my history goes, I wasn't really ever that into wrestling um, before I went to college. Uh, when freshman year of college is when I picked up jujitsu. Um, I was at a small community college. I was playing tennis out there. Um, but then the next year, I transferred to Iowa. 
And one of the cool things about being at Iowa, and I think it's probably the case in most schools, is that as a part of like being a student, having a student ID, you can just use your student ID rather than like having to pay money to go in to watch a wrestling event. Uh, so with my understanding that like for one, I, I like MMA, but for two, wrestling and jujitsu have a lot of overlap. Um, I was like, oh, I can watch some of the best grapplers in the country for free. Absolutely, I'm going to do that. So I'd be at most of the home meets for Iowa. I really picked up a, a lot of enjoyment watching it. I really became a big Iowa wrestling fan. Uh, but unfortunately, that year was the year right after they had won their last title, and they haven't won a title since. So I'm like one of the rare... It, it's sort of like that joke you hear about like the the little kid who like never was alive while the Yankees won the World Series. I feel like I'm kind of like that person with... Um, with Iowa wrestling, where I was like never an Iowa wrestling fan when they won a, a national championship, but this was supposed to be their year. And with there being a cancellation, uh, there, there definitely doesn't seem to be any plan for for anyone to be awarded a championship. So, what was supposed to be the year where I finally got to see my Hawkeyes win a wrestling title, um, uh, unfortunately, I didn't get it. Now, like I said, that puts me very low on the scale. People who should be upset. Uh, obviously, the athletes are at the top of the scale. They they put in so much time. They've gone through so much at this point. Um, to earn a spot, whether it's to earn a high seed or just even to earn a spot in the tournament, uh, to have that chance, um, which would have been next week, to compete for a national championship, um, both for themselves and then also to, to really do a lot, of, a lot of work for their school and possibly earn their school a trophy as well. Uh, so for them, they, they are who I feel the worst for. As far as what actually happened here, this was right after conference tournament week. Um, they actually had the seeds um, set for these tournaments, so if you had a great season, uh, you won your conference tournament, you earned a number one seed. Like that was all, all, all earned by you on the mat. Uh, so there was a lot of stuff that was earned by these athletes, but because they're just straight up canceling, not postponing, but straight up canceling the championships. Uh, even if you earned a number one seed, you're not going to be an all American, at least from what we know so far, you're not gonna be a champion, obviously. And so it sort of brings up a, an interesting discussion that I was thinking about, which is, do you want to just say, look, for the 2019-2020 season, there will be no national champions. There will be no national champions at any weight. There will be no All-Americans at any weight. There will be no national championship team. Or do you say, rather than giving it to nobody, you say, look, there was still a long season that happened. This, this season went from November up until early March. Um, they went all the way through to the conference tournaments. Maybe we do name national champions. So we, we say number one seed at every weight class. We're going to name you a national champion. But we'll put an asterisk by it. So in that way, like in the history books, it wouldn't be quite the same as winning a national championship by actually winning the entire tournament and getting through all five rounds. But at least you did earn that seed over the course of an entire season, and you are at least in some way getting rewarded for the work that you did and for the things that you accomplished. Like I mentioned before, though, I am an Iowa homer, and if they were to do such a thing, uh, Iowa would have three national champions that have Spencer Lee, Pat Lugo, and Alex Marinelli. Uh, they would also likely be given the team national championship as well. So for me, would absolutely love it. But personal bias aside, is that is that a better option than just saying nobody wins a national championship? Nobody gets an All-American status, even though you worked so hard this year, even though you accomplished so much. And to me, th this isn't the same as like an everybody gets a trophy thing, because if you got that number eight seed, you weren't given the number eight seed. You earned that. Like you had to win a lot of great matches against some great competitors. You had to do really well in your conference tournament. So to me, it, it really wouldn't be the worst thing ever if they just assigned All-American status or assigned uh, national championships uh, to guys based off of seeds that they earned on the mats. Um, so it, it's just a tough situation. Unfortunately, you can't really even like find a way to postpone this and like run it back in the future, especially with wrestling. 
with basketball, it's a little bit different because it's not like there are weight classes for that. But these wrestlers uh, are, are just pretty much killing themselves all year to, to stay on weight or stay close enough to weight where they can make it. Uh, for wrestling, it's not like MMA where you can make weight and then have over 24 hours between making weight and then actually having to compete. For these guys, they make weight and they get on the mat pretty soon after. So if you have an athlete who's told their season's canceled, they start eating like, just whatever the hell they want. And then they're told, actually, you know what, never mind. We just realized that we're, we're going to move it uh, to a different time. Uh, you, you could have a lot of guys who were who had made um, who had made the final bracket there that end up having to having to back out or just straight up miss weight um, because of this cancellation. So it's not like this is something that you can run back at some later point and, or change the decision to cancel. When they said it's canceled, when they move forward, it, it's over. There just isn't going to be a national tournament. So whether they decide that they want to assign championships with asterisks or just assign no championships at all, hard to tell. Uh, there is some talk about having the seniors uh, be allowed an extra year. Is that what they want? I don't know. I mean, there there'll be some athletes who will want to stick around for another year and, and take a run on it. There are gonna be some other ones who are like, you know what? I, I got my degree. I'm done here. Like, I would have liked to have been able to wrestle for a championship in 2020, but it didn't happen. So be it. Uh, so that that'll be unfortunate. Also, if you look at someone like Spencer Lee, for example, who is a junior, uh, two-time national champion, was expected to win the national title this year, which would have made him a three-time national champion. Uh, then would be going for that special status of being one of the rare four-time national champions next year. I mean, for him is he still going to be considered a junior next year or is he considered a senior? And then at that point, if he wins a national championship every single year that he competes but only as a three-time national champion, um, you, you know, that's a little bit unfortunate for him as well. But I think at this point there's just going to be a lot of a lot of work that's going to be ahead in terms of figuring out what they're going to do for all the athletes, not just in wrestling but in all the other um, spring sports. But just really unfortunate to see it end this way. And then the last thing to talk about is going to be the effect of coronavirus on jiu-jitsu competition. So obviously the Pan American Championships were coming up, uh, and that fell through. Uh, but the Pans were supposed to happen next week in California. Uh, that fell through. Then the IBJJF really had to start running through a, a bunch of other events that they were canceling, including the Chicago Open, uh, which would be in early April. Uh, some of the other shows that would be on Flow Grappling, like Third Coast Grappling, that had to be um, shut down as well. Uh, so a lot of jiu-jitsu shows are being closed down, much like many other sports. Now, like I had mentioned, though, even though most other sports uh, were closed down on Saturday, uh, was not the case with all jiu-jitsu tournaments, especially some of the smaller ones. I was refing a grappling industry tournament. Uh, they were not just open in Twin Cities, but they had a few other locations that they were doing as well. Uh, so at least for this last weekend, in, in terms of yesterday, uh, we, we still did have some jiu-jitsu tournaments that they were running. Uh, they were some smaller tournaments. Now, they did make a little adjustment there where normally it's just like, all right, kids and adults, they have their own tournaments and they can all kind of like intermingle. Whereas for this one, they said, we're going to break it up into two mini tournaments. So there's going to be the kids tournament where only the kid competitors and their coaches are allowed in and their parents as well. And then we're going to have an, an hour break where they clean the mats and it'll be adults only. Uh, and then the adults, again, it's just their, their coaches. Um, and then I guess family members of the family members are coming as well. But then also once you, you once you are done, you are supposed to leave and get out. Um, is, is that really going to help with the spread of contagion? I don't know. It's going to help that much, but it's something that they did and they were able to do. Uh, I think one of the funniest things about that is that the the location of it uh, was in a middle school, which I believe was a public middle school, so it's kind of odd that uh, the government allowed that to happen, but they did. Uh, but moving forward, there are definitely some jiu-jitsu promoters. I know Seth, Seth Daniels was looking to run a fight-to-win show that ultimately had to be canceled just because the, the state came in over top of him and forced the cancellation on that. Um, the guy who runs Grappling Industries would like to continue all of his tournaments as long as he can. Um, whether or not he does, that's going to be up to pretty much local governments and the um, 
the locations that he's able to get these events scheduled for. Um, so it, it seems like there's still going to be an effort by some of these small jiu-jitsu tournament promoters to, to run their tournaments. Um, and if they're going to stop, it's likely going to be um, government order, kind of like what's, what's going on with MMA. Uh, now, if a lot of gyms are closed down both this week and moving forward, are there going to be a lot of competitors who are going to say, you know what, I couldn't train the week before, I'm going to have to pull out? Uh, that remains to be seen, but at least in terms of what's going on, it looks like, at least for a lot of the smaller tournaments, they are still trying to run. They're still trying to to have competitors. There are definitely people who want to compete. Um, most of them were able to get a full training camp or a full full week of training in before before Saturday and use that in, in their tournament. If people are being kept out of the gyms and not able to find alternate training arrangements, is that going to have a big effect moving forward? I guess it's going to be one of those things where, where we have to wait and see. Um, but that'll cover it for this week. Uh, so again, this is episode 48 of the MMA Rundown Podcast. I'm sure, I'm going to have a ton to talk about next week. Um, may depending on how much happens, might split this up and do like 49 midweek and then do 50 um, afterwards, especially if I don't have anywhere to train. Uh, one of the reasons why I don't put out a ton of content is because pretty much what I do is go wake up, go to work, uh, go to the gym, get back, and then by that time it's late at night, and oftentimes I'll be like playing video games with my friends or um, watching some videos on YouTube, watching some fight stuff. Uh, so it's nice that I have like a ton of time where I can actually like do stuff. Whereas on the weekends, especially on Sundays, that's when I do have more time. And obviously that's why I record the podcast on Sundays. Um, but if there's going to be no training, if I'm just going to be going work, and most of it's going to be work from home. Uh, and then there's nowhere to train afterwards. Uh, I'll definitely have some more time on my hands. So I may um, do a midweek podcast if there are a lot of changes up to that point. And if I have time up to that point, and then also do another regularly scheduled one on Sunday. So we'll see from there. Uh, but obviously if you, uh, if I do the midweek podcast if you're subscribed to me on whatever podcast app you're on then it'll just download automatically for you um if you're subscribed on youtube or BitChute, again that should pop up in your in your feed pretty quickly as well uh so that would that'd be something that i would recommend if you're not already doing it uh so that covers it for this week and whether it's midweek or whether it's uh next sunday i'll i'll, I'll talk to you guys again sometime soon